The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event in all of history. Because if it is true, which I believe with all my heart that it is, if Jesus really did rise from the grave, conquering sin and death, absolutely everything about our life, everything about this world changes. We move from living under a curse of death to a living hope. That hope not only affects those who believe, but it is also the first fruits, the evidence of what God will do for all of his creation as well. Too often we fall into the trap of thinking that the resurrection is just about going to heaven when you die. We have been given an incredible promise by Jesus that he does give us eternal life by placing our trust in him as Savior and as Lord. But he also wants to transform us here and now. And that transformation happens by the power of Jesus' resurrection. So today, what we celebrate in the risen Lord is not just a future hope, but a very real present experience that you and I can have when we discover the power of the resurrection and of this living hope. God's redemption doesn't mean him scrapping what was there and starting all over again from a clean slate, but rather it is about taking that which has been enslaved by sin and by the curse and making it brand new. In fact, the resurrection is the victory of Jesus' work in making all things new. It is the deposit and the promise that all that God has made will be restored and become even greater than the original because all of creation, everything he has made, will proclaim what Jesus has done. It's incredible. It's incredible. Our gospel reading today, um, we didn't begin right at the, at the moment of the resurrection in, in the narrative. Um, we began later that same day when the disciples are gathered. They, some of them had been on the, the road uh, to Emmaus, and there was someone who appeared walking alongside of them. They began in conversation, and as they began in conversation, it grew deeper and deeper into the events that had happened, into Jesus' death, and, and these, these rumors that had begun about his resurrection. But the disciples that were there didn't recognize that Jesus was with them until he broke bread and gave it to them. And then he disappeared. And so those disciples go back and they're gathered with the other disciples later and they're discussing these things. And Jesus once again appears. But I want you to notice how specific the gospel reading that we had was about Jesus being physically risen. He had a full human body. It still bore the scars, but it was transformed. It was different. There was something unique about it. He was able to appear and disappear at will. We're going to explore that in a little bit, but it's part of the great promise of God making all things new. Well, in recent weeks here at ICP, we've been exploring the letter of 1 Peter, 
And I want to use a verse from 1 Peter as kind of the central point of our message today. It's one we briefly looked at, but I want to focus in a little bit more today. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter begins his letter with assuring us that the resurrection means you and I don't have a little bit of hope. We don't have a a, a maybe, but we have a great certainty, a living hope that changes everything about who we are and how we live. For the early church, the living hope that they had really focused upon three things. And, And there are three things that oftentimes in our day and culture are forgotten. The three things that pointed to this living hope was they had a living hope in the fact that Jesus Christ would one day return, not as the suffering Savior, but as the conquering King of Kings. One of the great things that they would say to one another was Maranatha, which means come quickly, Lord Jesus. That needs to be on our hearts if we're to live a hope that is real. We need to remember that at any moment, Jesus may return. And that when he does, he will truly make all things new. The second part of their living hope was not just going to heaven when they died. That is an incredible promise and comfort. And Jesus talked about that frequently as he was teaching. He said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. This was talking about going to heaven when we die. But ultimately, that was not the living hope. The living hope had to do with the resurrection of the dead. You see, Christianity is the only religion, it is the only belief that promises a restored physical reality back to the way God originally designed it, and yet even better. Even better. Sometimes people have this idea that life after death Life in heaven is going to be boring. That that somehow we're floating around on a cloud in heaven. The scripture doesn't say anything about that. It promises a resurrection. So therefore, everything about your physical experience that is good becomes even greater when Jesus returns and the dead are resurrected. One of the reasons why I wanted us to start with the gospel reading was I want you to notice some of the things that Jesus did to put this living hope into the hearts and lives of his disciples. He told them, I'm not just a ghost. I'm not just a spirit. This was a physical resurrection from the dead. His body was real. They could touch it. They could feel it. He could work. We we discover as we read through the gospels that Jesus... um, later appeared and he's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he'd made a fire. He was doing work. He had baked bread. And he had the fire and the coals waiting for the disciples when they came in from fishing to make a meal. In his physical body, Jesus worked. Jesus was touched. 
Jesus ate, the pleasures and the things that we count on as our normal experience, God says, I am going to make that new. All that is good, God will restore. And so the early church had a hope in the return of Christ. They had a hope in a resurrection of the dead. And they had a hope in the judgment. And the reason why judgment was a hope was because that was when God was going to restore all things. He would be dealing with sin forever. It would be settled and all things would be restored. It is a great and wonderful hope. This is the promise that we have in Revelation chapter 21. This is a beautiful statement that we have of our faith. Listen to what it says. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. Now, I want you to remember that phrase because that phrase should take you back to the cross. It should take you back to the final words of Jesus Christ when he was there offering himself as a sacrifice. When all of the suffering was done, what did he say? He said, it is finished. The payment for sin has been completed. All the work that that needed to be done for our salvation was done by Jesus Christ completely. It is not something we do or we add to. God doesn't say do more. God says it is finished. And here, the next time we see that phrase in the scripture, it is the completion of um, the redemptive act where God is now making all things new. And he goes on to say, I am the alpha and the, the omega, the beginning and the end. This is what the resurrection of Jesus, our living hope, points to. That God is making all things new. It's what it's all about. 1 Corinthians also gives us another dynamic to this this promise. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which if you want to know more about the resurrection, this is a great chapter just to, to read and to meditate on. But it says this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. And when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits. In fact, the day we call Easter Sunday, in biblical times, what it was was the Jewish feast of first fruits. It meant the very first 
harvest. And you would celebrate that very first harvest and you would make something that was really special to have together as a family as well as take an offering to the temple, uh, a first portion of what, was har- uh, what had grown and was harvested. And you would give that back to the Lord because you were anticipating how much more he was going to give you. Even today, what God has woven even to, into the fabric of things that, that oftentimes don't have anything to do with, the, with biblical truth, God has put images into our celebrations that are rem, to remind us of who he is and what he has done. That's why in virtually every culture that has a, a spring celebration or an Easter celebration, one of the big things that you have as part of your celebration is you'll have a special bread, right? Where that comes from, ultimately, is the feast of first fruits. It's a reminder that as we taste the sweetness and the goodness of that first harvest, that there's even more better things to come. So as you celebrate and you have whatever your tradition is, and and you enjoy that that taste of first fruits, it was to be a reminder of what God had done in raising Jesus from the dead. Now, I don't know that anyone at Albert's, where I bought this, has any clue that this would possibly point to the good news of Jesus Christ, but I'm telling you, it does. It does. You don't believe me. I'm going to go with it. We'll debate it later. All right. So God's first fruits is what he offers us. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, here's the taste of what I'm going to do in your life and through this world. Now, why is that so important? It's important because he promises us a living hope. And why is it we need a living hope? We need a living hope because you and I experience life under a curse. The reason why work is difficult, the reason why relationships are strained and broken, the reason why divorce happens, why illness is experienced, the reason why we have suffering is because of a curse. A curse that points back to the fall of humanity all the way back in Genesis. One of the symbols that I find most powerful about the um, crucifixion story is the crown of thorns. The crown of thorns is a unique event in the crucifixion of Jesus. Thousands and thousands of people died by crucifixion under the Romans. But there is only one account, one time, where it mentions that a crown of thorns was used, and that is on Jesus Christ. It's not something that is directly predicted in Scripture, although there is incredible scriptural evidence that points to what it means. I want you to think about the thorns. Think about what Jesus endured when the, that crown of thorns was placed upon his head. And not only placed upon his head, but the scripture then um, records that they took a rod and they would beat it down upon his brow. 
so that the thorns would dig deeper and deeper into his head, causing it not only to bleed, but to hit every nerve across his temple with severe pain. Why a crown of thorns? Well, the scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that when Adam and Eve sinned, when they chose to rebel against God, that it resulted in a curse, a curse upon them and a curse upon the earth. The resulting factors, in fact, let me, let me go to it here and, and, and read it to you. I'm skipping ahead, so, so don't, don't get nervous. Genesis 3, verse 17 through 19. And he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the, uh, of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat of the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face, of your brow, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The result of sin was a curse upon humanity. It resulted in death, and it also resulted in a curse upon creation. And the scripture reveals that creation is waiting, is groaning for our redemption because then it will be restored. And in the crown of thorns, you have Jesus taking the curse not only upon humanity, not only in the sweat of his brow, suffering and enduring the full weight of the penalty of sin, but you see him bearing the curse upon creation as well. Those thorns represented all that sin had brought upon our world. And Jesus willingly bore that on his head for you and for me. Now I want you to think about, about something else because I believe that God is continually revealing himself in incredible and amazing ways, that he has put glimpses of his truth into, into virtually everything that he has made in his general revelation. Now, his specific revelation, what he gives us in his word, is how we can measure whether something is true or not. But he is pointing through all that he made to remind us of who he is. That is why I am convinced that what you often find in thorns is the most fragrant and beautiful flowers. Isn't it interesting that God chose to take thorns, that which is a symbol of the curse, and yet with it give a promise of something beautiful, something good, something fragrant and wonderful. That's why I believe it so often we find amongst the thorns the most beautiful blossoms and the most fragrant flowers. Because you see, I think even there, God in his general revelation is pointing to the fact he's going to make all things new. Isn't that beautiful? When you think about that, how even the story of a curse that has been visited upon humanity and upon the earth because of sin, God provides a promise of making all things new.
Now, we don't know exactly what the crown of thorns that Jesus bore on his head looked like. Um, Many of the thorns that are found in, in Israel are much longer than these. It could have been far, far more painful than even this crown of thorns would be to wear. And yet, the truth is, Jesus Christ willingly bore it for you and for me. And what we need to realize is that those thorns also represent what is happening in your life and in my life. Your life, if you're like me and and the rest of humanity, the beauty of your life is also filled with thorns. Think about the pain that you experience in your life. Think about them as, as thorns, the thorn of, of physical pain, the thorn of grief, the agony of losing a loved one, the thorn of rejection, the thorn of betrayal, the thorn of being misunderstood, the thorn of abuse, the thorn of broken relationships, of separations, the thorn of death. Our world also and our society is filled with thorns, with evidence that something is wrong, something is broken. It's not the way it's supposed to be. The thorn that we see all the time in the news of war, of violence, of persecution, of discrimination. The earth itself gives evidence of the marks of the curse of the thorns of disease and storms and earthquakes and famines and droughts, and the list could go on and on. But here's the thing. Jesus bore all those thorns on the cross. He bore the curse upon the earth and the brokenness in your life for you because he loves you in ways you cannot even imagine. The scripture tells us in John chapter 19, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in purple in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, hail king of the Jews and struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. He was put on display. Now the reason that the Roman soldiers took the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and the reed, and placed it in his hand as they were mocking Jesus. They were mocking him for the crime he was accused of, and the crime that he was accused of was being king of the Jews. He was being accused of what he truly was. But not only the king of the Jews, but the king of heaven, the king of humanity. And so to mock and ridicule Jesus, they dressed him in a royal robe and they placed a crown of thorns upon his head and they brought him out. And Pilate, as he brings him out, seeing the suffering that Jesus is enduring and he's put on display before the people and before the high priests and the Sanhedrin, he says, behold the man. And even that phrase is one that is absolutely rich in what it means. 
Because that phrase first appears all the way back in the garden after Adam and Eve had sinned. In fact, God is saying to himself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are conversing about the problem of humanity because they had sinned. And it begins with this simple statement, Behold the man. He has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And the result was that he was driven out of the Garden of Eden. He was driven away from the tree of life, lest he eat of the tree of life and live forever in his fallen state. God says, behold the man, we must step in and do something. Because he can't do anything for himself. So God, in his first great act of mercy, prevented Adam and Eve from eating of the tree of life, And they went out of the garden where it was designed to have communion and fellowship with God and to walk side by side with Him. And that was broken. That relationship was severed. But God wasn't willing to leave us east of Eden. He wasn't willing to leave us without a way to bring us back. And so Jesus Christ Himself took the curse, took the judgment, took all the penalty of sin, and in bearing it on the cross, he's put on display, and all of uh, those who gathered there see him being presented, and he says, behold the man. The scripture tells us in Galatians that Jesus became a curse for us. In fact, it goes on to say, to quote from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, why is that particular form of of punishment, of death, a curse? Because that's that's what it tells us back, and I'm sorry, I'm jumping around for you guys back there. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. It's the only form of death that appears anywhere in the scripture where it says that form of punishment is a curse from God. How did Jesus die? Jesus was nailed to a tree. He was hung on a tree. He became a curse for us. He who had no sin became a curse for us. And why a tree? Because again, it points back to the fall of humanity. What was it that got humanity in trouble in the first place? They committed the crime of stealing from God the only thing he said you cannot have, which was the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They were not allowed to eat that one thing and yet they stole it because they believed the lie that in eating it, they would become like God. You see, it wasn't so much the temptation of the fruit, but the temptation of pride to take God's place. And that's the problem you and I and every other human being has. The evidence of our curse is our pride in that we want to be in control. We want to be God. But God, in his great mercy, 1 Peter tells us, 
he took the curse and he placed it on his own son so that he could bear the full weight of what you and I deserve. That's what happened on the cross. But the cross isn't the end of the story. There was a promise. Just as the flower grows on the thorn, there is the promise that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's what we celebrate, a living hope because we are no longer under the curse, but we are set free by what Jesus Christ has done. And Jesus' resurrection gives us incredible hope. Jesus' resurrection proves that we have a hope that goes beyond death. It proves that Jesus is God. The resurrection of Jesus proves our justification that the penalty has been paid. When he said it is finished on the cross, he was saying all the debt for sin has been paid in my own body. The resurrection of Jesus is the unshakable evidence of our own resurrection as well. He is the first fruits. Understand that apart from the resurrection of Jesus, there is no certainty of life beyond the grave for anyone. No other religion promises proof and assurance that the dead will rise. Only biblical Christianity because God himself proved it when he rose Jesus Christ from the dead. You and I have great hope. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to worry about what happens after death if we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. But it is more than just that. It is more than just a future hope. It is a very present hope. And it is a hope of transformation. As I mentioned before from the gospel reading, we need to recognize that the resurrection of Jesus was a physical resurrection. It was, he had a physical body that was similar, but transformed. There are times when it was recognized where they could clearly see who he was. It still bore the scars. That's why Thomas was able to place his hand there in the side of Jesus and to see the nail prints in his wrists and in his feet. The scars were still there that proclaimed the greatest expression of love in all the universe. And yet something was radically different. It was transformed and was more. The physical abilities were there, but the restraint of physical laws were not. And it's a picture, in fact, we're told in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. The older I get, the more broken down my body is, the greater this promise sounds, okay? For you guys who are young, hang in there. It's coming, all right? I promise you. This, I mean, this week I've had the great joy of experiencing a little taste of that because I had, I had a cataract removed. And so people always make fun of me because I never look at the people in the middle. Part of that is because I couldn't see you. <laughs> For the last three years, you've just been a blur, I can see you today, so I'm excited. <laughs> he, is, he is good. 
He's going to transform us. That's part of our living hope. A hope that he will make all things new, including us physically and the experience that we have. But also, the resurrection of Jesus Christ not only gives us a future hope, it gives us a present reality. Because understand this, that the power to overcome sin in your life, not the penalty of sin, but the practice of sin is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the one who gives new life. If he can raise from the dead, he can conquer anything that you face. Any challenge, any temptation, any weariness, any fear, he can conquer it. He is the power that enables us to live as citizens of Jesus' kingdom and to work as his ambassadors. That's the good news. That's the living hope. But I want to close with one very important truth. If you want to experience the resurrection power in your life on a practical basis, it begins, first of all, by placing your trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Without that, there is no resurrection power. There is no living hope for you. But beyond that, if you want to have it be a reality in your life day to day, we must realize one very important truth about resurrection. There can be no resurrection unless somebody dies. There can be no resurrection unless someone dies. This is why Jesus said, if you want to come after me, anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The only way to experience the transformation of the risen Lord at work in your life is to die to self. Because your pride, the old dead you, the old dead me, will always get in the way of experience what God wants to do in you and through you. And so therefore, we must remember, if we really want the living hope of the resurrection on a daily basis, we must die to self so that his life and power may be fully manifest in us. This Easter Sunday, we have great reason to hope. The reason to hope is because Jesus proved who he is and what he has done by rising from the dead. But today, what will you do with that? The scripture tells us in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus, the risen Lord, is presented there and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will open the door, I will come in to him and eat with him. That's his invitation to you today. If you do not know him, he is knocking at the door of your heart right now saying, would you simply let me in? Simply trust me. Call upon my name and you'll be saved. For those who already know him as Savior and Lord, he is standing at the door right now saying, do you want to experience the transformation that my resurrection can work in your life? Do you want to have more than just the promise of heaven? Do you want to have the experience of my resurrection today? If so, Die to self so that you can live to me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incredible beauty of the resurrection.
we thank you that you are our living hope. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to each and every person that is here today. Lord, for, for those who've known you for a long time, Lord, would you make the truth, power, and awe of your resurrection fresh this day? Lord, may, us, may we not go from this place unchanged, but remember that we have a living hope that is all completely centered upon you and what you have done. And for those who do not yet know you, let today not only be um, Easter Sunday, let it not only be the celebration of first fruits, but may it be a beautiful day of new birth where they trust in you as Savior and Lord by calling upon the name of Jesus and simply saying, Lord, would you save me? I need you. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in our life. All of creation praises you. And one day soon, when you return as King of kings and Lord of lords, all of creation, all of heaven, all that you have made, and all of humanity will join in proclaiming the greatness of who you are. So today, we say, so will I. We will worship you for who you are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to close with a, a song of worship. But after the service, if there's a spiritual question that you have, if there's a, a need for prayer that you have, we'll have intercessors here underneath the windows to pray with you and to visit with you. We want to, to be able to encourage you in discovering all that Jesus is, all that he has done, and how he can work in your life. Let's stand and worship together.